Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry of Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm Annabeth Cross. And I'm Chrissy Tatum-Williamson. Today we're concluding our series for this Lenten season of asking honest questions here on The Living Stone podcast. For the past five weeks, we've discussed questions asked by members of our own congregation, from some of our youngest members to some of our oldest, and everywhere in between. We've started with asking the question in our first podcast in the series, what is the Bible? You know, big, uh, <laughs> big loaded question there. Especially for Baptists. Yeah. <laughs> um, but kind of reframing what, how we interpret scripture, how the Bible applies to us now, um, looking at our own understandings of like what we grew up knowing the Bible to be and what the Bible is for us now here in 2023 and how mm-hmm. that shifted and evolved. Um, we've also asked questions in other episodes about who is God and who are we, how humanity relates to who God is and how that affects who, who humanity is as well. We also spent a week talking about um, questions, asking what questions do you ask in the dark, where some of our congregants sent in the questions that they ask in the dark and some of the questions maybe of doubt or the ones that they keep hidden or the ones that they're afraid to ask. And so we we talked about those one week mm. as well. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, how do I connect with God? So understanding, you know, how do we know God is real? What spiritual formation and practices look like to listen for God's voice and to grow in that. Um, and looking at, at different spiritual disciplines and practices, we did that as well a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. And then last week, um, Chrissy continued our series with asking the question, what is the relationship between the law and rules of the Bible? She was very gracious to take on this heavy topic. <laughs> While um, you were soaking yeah. up the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she um, had, a, had a guest, uh, Chris George, the senior pastor from a church in Georgia, um, come and he graciously talked about this, and we learned so much from him last Absolutely. week also. Absolutely. Um, so I'm very thankful y'all took that on for me. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to that one, like for me, that one was really illuminating. I'm still kind of letting Chris's concept of principles and practices marinate um, and inform how I'm thinking about the different rules in the Bible. So I thought it was really helpful. So um, yeah. thanks for going away so that we could invite a guest <laughs> through that no, one. No, <laughs> I mean, that is, that is some... I feel like that question is the one that I struggle with the yep, most. It was hardest. And it's one of the ones we talked about it actually with the youth a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I left, I brought in a lot of questions to that conversation I had yes. with them and told them, I don't know a ton about this. And like, I still have a lot of room to grow too. Mm. So I hope that um, episode is helpful. It has been for me. And I hope that it is for you as well, as well as all the other questions we've asked. And so today we're going to be wrapping up this series about honest questions. Yep. Um, because it is the last week of Lent, and it is, um, we're almost to Easter, and we're going to ask the question, what is the meaning of Holy Week? So traditionally, um, in the Christian calendar and um, in all the uh, holidays we have in, in the Christian uh, seasons, Holy Week is the week leading up to the Easter Sunday. Right. Um, so what even is Holy Week? That's a, the most basic definition. Yeah. Um, Before we get there, though, I want you. You said it a minute ago, but I want to <laughs> say it again because the thing about the Christian calendar, which at church sometimes yes. we talk about it as the liturgical calendar, which is mm-hmm. a fancy word for like the Christian, the church calendar. Um, it's 
it's a schedule of readings from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, whichever you prefer to call it, uh, from the Psalms, uh, wisdom literature, from the Gospels, and from the Epistles. And it's it's a it's one calendar year that begins Advent one. So for us, that's usually the first Sunday of December or the last mm-hmm. Sunday of November, with um, prophecy and birth narrative type. Uh, readings that are preparing us for the birth of Jesus. So the incarnation text. So, you know, we'll, we'll hear things like um, the prophet John the Baptist, you know, proclaiming a word in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. We'll read from Isaiah. We'll, um, we'll kind of hover around the themes of like, wait, watch, listen, prepare, joy, hope, love, peace, those as well. Um, but we begin there. And then from there, we, we, we follow Jesus's ministry mm. um, from baptism to wilderness to healings to miracles to encounters with people along the road to teaching the disciples to finally preparing them for the cross, which is Holy Week. Yeah. But I, I, I rewinded and said the thing that you already said because I think it's really important for Christians to understand that. Um, that it is a good spiritual practice for us. This is why one of the reasons why worshiping together is so important because we read the scripture together, the same series of texts year over year over year um, to reimagine, to remember the stories and then to reimagine, okay, how is this scripture informing my life this year differently than last year? Yeah. Um, and so anyway, um, so it's, there's a, a practice to it. There's a discipline to it, a rhythm to it. Um, that's both predictable and routine. And at the same time, it can be very energizing and life-giving. But yeah. Anyway, sorry. And I think it's cool that, I mean, churches all over the world are reading the same Absolutely. text throughout the year. Many who follow um, follow those passages. But then also, the there are three years a, yeah, B, three and, years. Yeah, mm-hmm. A, B, and C that we rotate through. So yes. the the gospel text and the passages change every year. So, they do. for example, like with Holy Week, you know, and we'll talk about this later. But everything that happens during Holy Week in the Bible happens in multiple gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the different perspectives of those gospel writers, mm-hmm. and so it is a refreshed way every year. It Even is. though you know we've heard the Easter story and the Christmas story so many times. <laughs> yeah, um, many of us who've grown up in church like there's new, there's always new things to learn, always new things that pop up, um, and part of that is because we are looking at different texts. And like each year in the liturgical calendar, like year A, B, or C, tend to prioritize one gospel. Yeah. So like year A, might, I don't know for sure, but it might be the year of Matthew, and then the next mm-hmm. the year of Mark. And on Holy Week, we see that John is peppered in a lot. Yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, I think that's important as well. Yeah. Um, so we're going to kind of just talk about so, you know, we've been in this Lenten season, this journey to the cross, as it's typically referred to as, mm-hmm. um, this journey in the wilderness where we've, many of us have given something up yep. or we've taken something on, we've de- we've added a new practice to our lives or, um, you know, whatever that has looked like for you. We've engaged in different ways with this wrestling in the wilderness as Jesus did. Yep. Um and we're coming to this point of, okay, I mean, maybe some of us are really, just really excited to be able to eat chocolate again or whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is. That you, no, I didn't. Oh. But, you know, whatever that is for you. Um, and, you know, some of us have fallen short with that. We've already, you know, given, we've already I gave up giving things up. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, or we took something on and, you know, yeah, yeah. I, you know, took on moving in some aspects. Of yeah. it. So whether that's going on a walk or um working out or whatever and i'm gonna tell you that didn't happen every day uh, mm. especially i mean i did go on vacation so that was a little hard you did but you know like and that's a 
I'm not, you know, shaming myself for that. Yeah. Um, no, you shouldn't. It's not, uh, we're, we're free from that kind of guilt. Yes. Um, I guess I did give something up. I, I'm not oh. running till Easter. And oh, it's not because go. it's not for holy and spiritual purposes. <laughs> um, but that's how it all lined yeah. up with the calendar. Well, there you go. Anyway, we really digress. Sorry about that. <laughs> but here we are in this, like, we're Palm Sunday is coming on Sunday for us here in. Um, or yeah. I'm sorry, Palm Sunday just happened. It's for coming those for Anna Beth and I, but by the time <laughs> yes. we're in your ears, <laughs> Palm Sunday happened. has happened. We're in the middle of Holy Week, and we're also in the middle of Spring Break Week here in Raleigh, which yep. in itself brings a lot of other things. Thank you, Wake County. <laughs> um, but here we are, just sitting in this week that brings so much intensity to this Lenten season. Yeah, there's so much buildups in the same way that, like, with Advent in December, there's so much buildup to you know Christmas Eve and all these things yeah. and. The seasons of the liturgical year, there's, you know, it's kind of like a pinnacle moment. So here we are sitting in Holy Week, and yeah. we want to talk through, like, what happened in the days leading up to Jesus, in the days of Jesus' last week his last of week, yeah. life and ministry on earth. Yep. And so we're going to backtrack to Sunday, Palm Sunday, and start there. That's where um, Holy Week begins in our tradition. And so, you know, it's, it's the day where... Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem on a donkey and there was palms waving and, Hmm. you know, we processed with palms on Sunday and um, that's traditionally how the church has celebrated this feast day. Mm you know, but what, what else? There's there's a little more to the story than so just much more the than palms that. and the donkey and. <laughs> but like, let's think about the cultural, like the Christian cultural things that we also associate with Palm Sunday. Yeah. Like, um, a lot of times in a lot of churches, it's like Cantata Sunday, yeah, or um, or the Easter musical Sunday, mm-hmm. um, and liturgical churches. Um, that that means churches that strictly follow that liturgical calendar. We were talking about a lot of the mainline Protestant or um, kind of high high churches like Episcopalians, they have like mm-hmm. a high liturgy. Um, we do something called burying the Alleluias, um, where we don't, during the season of Lent, we don't sing or say the word Alleluia mm-hmm. or Hallelujah, however you say that. Um, and it's because we're disciplining ourselves not to jump to Easter, like not to, not to forget about the journey um, and go straight to the cross, which we can, we're going to talk about that probably throughout this conversation. But so Palm Sunday is kind of, um, the final time for us to gather in worship, um, where we're, we are shouting, we're not shouting hallelujah. We're shouting Hosanna, right? Save us. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're walking and carrying our palms and whatnot. Um, it's also a really popular Sunday for children to sing in worship because everybody (laughs) loves a good children's choir processional. Um, so we have all this stuff kind of around the Sunday. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the actual additional meanings of it, or do you want me to go there? We can both kind of nerd out on that. Yeah, you can go first with your sure. example of this. So, like, one of my favorite things to remember about Palm Sunday um, comes from Borg, uh, Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan's book called The Last Week. Um, and they're not the first to write about it, but the way that they write about it is just so beautiful. They talk about... Um, you know, as Christians, we focus on Jesus's procession um, into Jerusalem. And in many ways, the Gospels are all a procession toward Jerusalem, um, but especially on Palm Sunday. And um, and what Crossan and Borg remind us is that 
there is another procession that's happening historically because everyone yeah. is going to Jerusalem for Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, um, Pilate is also making his way. Of course, Pilate is the, um, you know, the appointed leader for the empire, um, kind of tasked with being in charge of um maintaining, you know, peace and order in the city of Jerusalem during this religious festival. And so Pilate's coming in on one side with his, like, horse and army Mm. and body armor and, you know, all the symbols of power um, and masculinity. Like, all of that is worn on Pilate's shoulders. What people would expect of a leader or a hero or... A king. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Pilate is embodying all of those expectations coming into town um, for the purpose of maintaining um, peace and order Mm -hmm. um, in Jerusalem. Meanwhile... On the other side of town, Jesus is um, making his way into Jerusalem, um, really narratively and, and as a matter of fact, doing things completely oppositely. Like he has um, abandoned the idea of being a conventional king or um, a a conventional kind of source of power. And Jesus Mm -hmm. is modeling a different kind of power with his procession, coming in on a donkey. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's remarkable to think about. Um, and to read up on like the the dichotomy, yeah, that the gospels present us with, yeah, because the people expected like if Jesus is truly the king, the Messiah, the savior of the world, like they would expect the kingly processional of that, yeah, like God, and then you see the, the complete opposite right of what Jesus actually did and and what God is doing, yes. right like I, I just, I want us to sit with that. Like the people expect their salvation to come one way mm-hmm. and God is providing it another way. And, and like, that, that seems to be something that we also, yeah, <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> like the same need, struggle. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and so I think, you know, in this season of questions, we said, this is our last question podcast and it may be, who knows, but it's definitely not the end of our question. We're yes. going to say that again. But, um, but the question here. Is like, what are my expectations? Mm-hmm. And, and are they keeping me from seeing what God is actually doing? Yeah. Definitely. So that's Palm Sunday. Yes. Um, and that begins, like we said, Holy Week. Um, the next three days of Holy Week are, there's no name for them. They're just, you know, what we would consider Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Now right. is like, there were days in between Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and then the the named uh, day that we have is Monday, Thursday. So in between that of Jesus's mm-hmm. last week of ministry, you have uh, what people believe to be the next day would be Jesus cleansing the temple mm-hmm. and cursing a fig tree for not bearing fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> very metaphorical yeah. um, text and all, and just to preface with um, where they show up in scripture, you know, out of the four gospels, all of them, they all have a passage about Jesus entering Jerusalem mm-hmm. on a donkey, but they all include different details throughout the rest of the week. Right. And in, into um, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and the crucifixion, resurrection, like the story, um, we have to remember that there are four gospel writers who all had different intentions of writing the gospel, mm-hmm. and the things that they highlighted, um, the things that they included played a bigger part into their purpose of writing and the genre and all the things in their right. theological focus and that as well. Right. Um, so some of these stories will show up in 
a couple of some will only show up in one some will show up in all four and so we just remember that and as you're um it is fun to kind of look at the comparisons yes. of them um christy and i were trying to find um a chart earlier that we could bring with us but couldn't find it but there are i mean there are even bibles out there and books that yeah. put them side by side so that you it's a lot easier to see it that way yeah um if you want to get one go um not we're not endorsing amazon but it's a great <laughs> you know go to amazon and yeah. search gospel parallels and you can read it for yourself really fascinating yeah but that's important to know as we're talking about these stories so that obviously like this is a, ge- a general timeline and the way that we mm-hmm. um you know, it appears that these things happened, but obviously there are details added and missing from different from the four different gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I said, the people Monday would be the day that Jesus cleansed the temple and cursed the fig tree, as well as Mary anointing Jesus's feet with the alabaster jar and with her um, the oil her and tears. her tears. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to say anything about the cleansing of the temple? It's a, some well, of these are hard passages to talk about. Some of them are really hard to talk about. Um, I think what's important about Jesus cleansing the temple um, is kind of the parallel between or the relationship between Jesus's body as a temple of God, mm. a dwelling place for God, um, and the temple as kind of the the metaphorical or narrative um institution like the temple the temple the way it's used in the gospel reading um or in the gospels as i read them is the temple stands for the institution Mm. of religion and in the in the ancient world there were not clear dividing lines always between religion and politics Mm -hmm. and so it's it is a place of power um a lot of power um as well as a place of worship and so Jesus has a pretty harsh critique of the temple and institutionalized religion throughout the gospels. And it just intensifies here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also important for Christians to remember that Jesus was a Jew. Yeah. And he remains a Jew throughout his life, death and resurrection. Um, And so everything that Jesus, his critique, his desire for reform, his desire to, I mean, I have some preacher friends who also would just say like, Jesus was ready to burn it all down. Yeah. And, and meaning meaning the institution of of his own religion. Mm. It's not as an outsider cru- like and I was about to say crucifying that's not really the metaphor I want to use <laughs> today, but it's it's Jesus trying to redeem his own mm. religion, right? The faith into which he was born. Um it's not it's not the same thing as a Christian criticizing a Muslim. Or yeah. a Jewish person today. It's not the same thing. Yeah. So that's important. But yeah, so I think that's important with the temple piece. The fig tree piece, um, you know, some scholars find that the fig tree was the actual tree of knowledge of good and evil from Genesis, that the fig was actually the forbidden fruit. Um, it, throughout antiquity, it becomes this like symbol of peace and justice and prosperity and also a symbol for the temple itself mm-hmm. um, by the time Jesus is born. And so... Um, the fig tree and the temple and the ideas are kind of commingling at this point um, in the gospel narratives. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and then uh, we, like we said, we have Mary anointing Jesus's feet with the expensive oil in her mm-hmm. tears. Um, and that I think happens in all four gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, the disciples ask, why would you waste that? So, like, I mean, expensive oil, probably like, I forget there's, 
there's notes on like how much that would be today or like right. how much of her possession that would be it's a lot right. <laughs> it'd be a lot of money right so the disciples are immediately like why would you like waste that mm. why would you waste um this why would you do this for for jesus and you know jesus is telling them by this point like i'm gonna die yeah. <laughs> like i'm gonna be crucified and like and she's preparing me for burial and yeah. like he and Jesus lifts her up in her actions of like this is what you, we should be doing. Yeah. And instead, you know, the disciple and I think that's also it I find it fascinating to pay attention to the disciples reaction through all of Holy Week. Right. Because mm, that's so good. one we can find ourselves in those yes. in those reactions ourselves. Yep. Um and then they also I mean contrast a lot of what Jesus, like they're not listening to Jesus fully. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus keeps reminding them it's pretty evident like we can see in the story it's like Jesus isn't hiding from them that he's going to die. He's, right. he's told them over he's and over again. Them. He's telling them he's going to be betrayed. Like, he's he's giving them key, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, evidence that it's going to happen and reminding them. And they're just not paying attention truly or not fully listening. Right. Um, and they're asking questions that aren't, aren't, aren't the point, kind of. That's right. Um, and we see that in this story specifically. Um, but we also see the faithfulness and the humility of Mary which I think is also a powerful thing, especially as a woman in the society too. Right. Um, yeah, she gets it, and yeah. they, and the men don't. Yeah. <laughs> what a good feeling for. Us, I mean, uh, it, <laughs> it is, and and still like the it's a it's a it's nice like as a woman yes. to see a woman in the text actually getting it and Jesus affirming her for yes. getting it. Um, but beyond that, you know, to remember that women, and and women who embody like who who found agency in their own body enough to touch a man. Yeah you know is that that's big Mm -hmm. and um and i'm thinking about this because like today like mary is the outsider and she's doing something really scandalous Mm -hmm. and so today i'm i'm it makes me want to ask again like maybe each day has a question i don't know maybe it has multiple but like who's doing the thing that we're afraid to do Mm. that actually might be the thing that god is calling us to do yeah and, and so that's the challenge, I think, from Mary. Mm-hmm. We could just end right there. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's we have very, so much more. Yes, but that's a very powerful question to ask. And maybe this will be helpful as we go throughout each day mm-hmm. of Holy Week for us to reflect on, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to jump to kind of the next day in our week, that would be Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but we see Jesus debating with religious authorities in the temple again. Um and then also he and throughout the four gospels there's a lot of teaching moments that still happen in between right. this and Monday Thursday. So, you know, he's I mean, he's he's teaching a lot of it. There's a lot of parables going on and then there's yeah. a lot of in the John in John's gospel we see a lot of those I am statement mm-hmm. um passages, you know, I am the true vine and um all those I am the way, the truth and life, all that happens in the midst of all of this. Um and, and so we can, you know, see that in different things. But Jesus is giving his, uh, you know, kind of farewell teachings and yeah. speech of um, what's to come. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, do you want to say any more on that? Yeah, I mean, I think in John's gospel, Jesus makes it the most plain. Yeah. Um, and it's even like there's a chunk of chapters that are even called the farewell discourse. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is literally saying to them, like, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. So you need to know X, Y, and Z, yeah. you know, and they still just cannot let yeah. Jesus go. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think just to remember this, this for me is one of the most interesting ways to compare the gospels, mm. which, what did Matthew think was important for Matthew's people to know and remember yeah. about the last instruction from Jesus? And yeah. what did John think? And and it's important, not only are we talking about different authors here, but we're talking about different communities to which they're writing, different mm-hmm. time periods. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, Mark being the earliest written and John being the latest written, um, different sources in terms of other circulated materials that find their way in. Um, and so it's just, it's like a little window into those early um, Christian communities to try to figure out what is important for them mm-hmm. to remember. You know, if, what are the things you want to teach your kids yeah. if you've got a week? Yeah. What are the lessons, you yeah. know? And it's like crunch time. That's what Jesus is doing. <laughs> yeah. And he, I'm sure Jesus did a lot more than what we read here, too. Right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> they can't, you know, document every single moment. Um, but these are the key things that stuck out to them and mm-hmm. what they wanted to pass on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the third Wednesday, the next day, would be tra- uh, traditionally where we read more of the story and that this is the day that all the religious leaders are conspiring to kill Jesus. Mm. And this is where Judas is um, striking up his deal of betrayal for Jesus. As as Jesus has been saying, like, when are you going to betray me? You know, this is this is that part of the plot right. where, you know, it's, it's preparing to happen. Mm. Um, and they're trying to figure out, like, you know, like, how they're going to, like, this is kind of... Um, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of the plot to figure out, like, how they're going to kill Jesus. And it's just yep. more details about preparing for that. Um, yeah, and again, like, noticing that it comes from within. Yeah. Right? The betrayal comes from yeah. one of the 12. And um, the, the the shock and disbelief of the group that one of their own yeah. might betray Jesus in such a way. Um, it, it, it's It's really remarkable and so utterly human, you yeah. know. Um, and then we find ourselves at yeah Monday Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the day, and you know this is probably a more familiar day of Holy Week to you mm-hmm. um, if you've grown up in church in a day where we, we will even have a service on Monday Thursday, and a lot of churches do, where we, you know, um, tr- this is where we think the Last Supper when the Last Supper happened. This is you know the last meal that Jesus shares with his friends and the disciples, um, where he washes the disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. And you know, breaks bread with them, and this is where we get our uh, communion, communion language from. Well, interestingly, I think most of the communion language comes from Corinthians uh, when That's Paul true. is theologizing what happened at the Last Supper. Yeah. But yes, but this is um, the action. Yes, yeah. this is like when you see the famous Last Supper painting. Yeah, this is what. This is it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is happening. Is that Da Vinci? I can't remember. I think so. Okay. Well, an art history buff will correct us you if know, we're wrong. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so this is that's what happens. They share the meal together, and then Jesus goes with his some of his disciples, depending on which one you read, which, yeah. um, whether it's his inner circle or all of them. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus prays. Yes, um, before he's arrested, also in the garden. Um, and so this is a this there's a lot going on on this day. Yeah. This is a heavy day. This is, I mean, on both sides as the disciples who, whether they realize it or not, it's going to be their last meal with their friend Jesus and leader. Right. <laughs> but it's also the, you know, emotions that Jesus has in this. Mm-hmm. This is where I think we really see Jesus' humanity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As well as 
God incarnate in the story. Absolutely. Um, gosh, there's so much to like lift up out of this because yeah. as you say, there's so much going on in the text itself. Um, I want to, I want to talk about the supper. Um, you know, we call this Jesus's last supper <laughs> and, and it's, it's modeled after the Passover celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call it in Baptist life. Most often it's called the Lord's supper, yeah. um, which is similar to the last supper, but it's not the same. It's the Lord's <laughs> supper. It's called the Eucharist, which means, um, isn't that, doesn't that mean we give thanks? I think so. Yeah. Um, and there's also a connection between the word Eucharist and the word grace in yes. Greek charis. Yes. Um, and so it's an expression of an experience of the grace of God. Um, and so we have a, the benefit or blinders, however you want to think about it, of all this, all the years of Christian history and tradition and practice um, that have built up some norms, best practices, the you know expectations around what that table is. But at its core, it's a regular old meal that yeah. Jesus shared with his friends. Yeah. And like to fast forward and think about like two days later or the next day, they are without their friend. Hmm. And like, I don't know if y'all have ever experienced death in such a way that you can look back and remember, wait a minute, yesterday she was right here. Hmm. Um, And the shock of that is jarring. Um, But this is where Jesus gets very human in the text. We see his humanity, um, you know, holy human, holy divine. We see a lot of his humanity here. But I think we also see um, the human story and the disciples and just the experience of shock and grief um, and loss um, and trauma. Uh, that comes immediately on the heels of this beautiful meal. Um, so that's that's really important. Um, and I think in the garden, uh, one of the things that I don't, I, mean, I hate to say I love it, but like it's such a helpful theological frame for me is um, this is where Jesus lives and articulates most fully his question of like, does it really have to be this way? Yeah. And that's a very human question, you know, Um the experience of suffering, the knowledge that something ahead is going to be really hard, mm-hmm. um, to be able to see it and, and know, and know that it's coming. Um, I mean, and Jesus is looking at death, right? Yeah. So to know that, and then to still ask God, does it really have to be this way? Mm. Can it be any other way? Um, I'm grateful Jesus said that because it makes me, I think in faith, it helps to know that even the son of God, suffered in the way that we suffer right yeah i mean the just even trying to fathom the amount of the emotions that jesus felt in these moments and i mean it makes it relatable i think of like because you see so much of jesus's humanity you can kind of in your sin in a way put yourself in jesus's Mm -hmm. shoes and like imagine the grief and the lament happening here I mean, we can't fully imagine that, but there's like a glimpse of it that we yeah. can because we are human. And right. I think it makes it so much more real for us. And yeah. this is this is the day where I think we can truly like, or these are like the events where we can, I think we relate to Jesus a lot. And yeah, but that's and Jesus, making it easier. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jesus relates to us. Like yes. it's that dynamic nature of incarnation and just yeah. how powerful god's decision to become human right yeah (laughs) how important that is for us to understand as best we can yeah what god is doing for us and with us yeah so after jesus prays in the garden we obviously know that um jesus is betrayed and arrested Mm -hmm. um there as well and so that leads 
that all happens, you know, at night and leads us into Good Friday, as what we call it. Um, and this is the day in which Jesus was crucified. Right. Um, and there are different, um, the Gospels present different tellings of this story. There are details included in some and not others. There are some, you know, share that Jesus said a couple uh, d- said one thing on the cross. Some say that he said another. Right. Um, but this is this is what it's all leading up to. Is that's right the death of Christ on the cross? That's right. The words that um, I always think about with Good Friday are, um, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Yeah. Which, if you grew up in a good Baptist church <laughs> that did a good cantata, then you would remember somebody yeah. trying to say those words, acting out Jesus on the cross um, yeah. in Aramaic, but. I think this is, so my theology professor would talk about the experience of God forsakenness, and it is mm-hmm. the experience of Jesus on the cross acknowledging and verbalizing the absence of God's presence with him. Yeah. And that is a hard thing. Even That's a hard thing for Christians and people of faith to even think about for 30 seconds. Um, yeah. But it's definitely, like you said, we're not living this as fully as Jesus did, but we can all identify moments where we felt like God had forsaken us. Yeah. The questions or the times when we ask, like, where are you, God? I can't feel you. I can't sense you. It seems like you're not listening to me. Um, the dark night of the soul, as some of the mystics call it. But that's um, a powerful piece of scripture. Um, and the liturgical rhythm of Holy Week calls us to live in that place for two full days yeah um and you know at our church we will we don't we don't have services on thursday and friday so we kind of blend thursday and friday on thursday and one of the practices that we'll do is we leave the service of um at at the table so we leave the monday thursday portion and we walk out to the columbarium which is our physical um is our physical reminder that we're all human and that we all die. Um, and in that in the columbarium, we blow out the Christ candle symbolizing the death of Christ and close the Bible after reading Jesus's last words. And um, we leave in silence to symbolize mm-hmm. and to try to make ourselves sit with the fact that for a minute, Jesus is dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that leads into... Um, Holy Saturday, what we typically call the day in between Good Friday and Easter, mm. where Jesus is in the tomb. Yep. Everyone's mourning and grieving. Jesus is dead, like you said, and there's a lot of silence there. Um, and that's that's where we sit for a lot of... <laughs> yeah, and that's where we sit. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of life's experiences, that's where we... that That's where we find ourselves a lot, yeah. is in that silence of between the death and resurrection. Yep. And that's like, I think about the idea of keeping vigil, mm-hmm. right? Showing up. Um, there was this, there's an old school tradition of, I, I, I think it's like during the funeral, actually, or after someone passes away, like somebody actually sits in the house mm. just to sit. Um, anyway, it's fascinating that like when death comes, all of our, I want to do something energy has mm. to quiet because there is nothing we can do. Anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously, we know the good news that comes on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Before we get there, I, I just wonder, what is the meaning of the cross today? Like, what do we do while we're here talking about Good Friday and sitting <laughs> in a space of silence when Christ is dead? Yeah. Like, what do 
how, what do we do with this day for ourselves now? Like, how do we, what does this mean for our lives and our relationship with God and with each other? Yeah. And like, it's a story we know happens. Right. But we also know what happens on the other side. So like what, this journey to the cross, like what does that mean for us now? This is a really big question, and um, this the magnitude of this question is one of the reasons I'm grateful it rolls around every year. Because mm-hmm. as a preacher and a pastor, uh, you can't ever summarize this um, in one sermon or in one um, Bible study lesson or whatever. Um, in, in many ways, the meaning of the cross is new every year. Um, and I think it always is a, it, it means death. Um, you know, we wear crosses as jewelry, which I think is so peculiar. And I mean, I have a lot of cross jewelry myself, but, um, but it's a, it's an execution tool yeah. from the ancient world. And we know that, and it is the tool by which our savior died. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we know that too. Um, but in some ways it has also become a symbol of resurrection. Um, and I think that comes really from Paul's theology of Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're reading the epistles and you're, you're listening to Paul inform and teach the churches about what does this mean? He almost always talks about Christ crucified mm-hmm. instead of Christ yeah. period. It's always crucified because for Paul's theology, um, the 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 fact that death was defeated was critical meaning we don't have we we're no longer afraid of the roman empire we're no longer mm-hmm. afraid of of um being on the outs with caesar which was a death sentence like we're no longer afraid of living our faith um and being the people that god has called us to be being um the kind of servants that jesus modeled for us even if that puts us at odds with our empire and with our emperor um it's okay because the worst they can do is kill you yeah and jesus showed us all that that's not the end um and so that's important um Again, I think the meaning of the cross is a reminder of of the feeling and the experience of God forsakenness. Mm. Um, it can be a very empowering tool for people who live forsaken lives in earth, mm. um, uh, people who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who are enslaved, who are forgotten. Um, the cross is a, a symbol of power for those people. Um, and I think for, uh, for people... M- more like me, um, who are born into this world with a fair amount of privilege, um, who live in the richest nation in the world, who, um, who have food, who have shelter, who don't have to worry about basic things. Um, and really like, I don't have to worry a lot about, I can, I can live my faith as much as I want to, and I don't have to fear my empire, Yeah, you know? So I, I think there's so much privilege in the spot that I am in socially and culturally and historically that for me and for people like me, the cross is the invitation toward humility, hmm. toward lowering of the self, toward self-giving, um, self-emptying, um, which are all things that God did in the incarnation of Jesus. Yeah. You think about Philippians 2, which we talked about on Sunday, um, that God, uh, Jesus being in God's own likeness. So on the same level as God chose to become low. And, um, and so I think about what would it look like for Christians, especially middle-class American Christians, um, to imagine that this whole work of salvation is not just about Jesus's cross. It is about that. But in following that and in really believing that and embodying that means 
that our path begins and has a long stretch of self-lowering, of mm. humility, of vulnerability, of self-emptying for the sake of others. Um, and that is the way to resurrection. Um, so that's that's one of the things I think the cross can mean for us. Um, and the question that I'm sitting with this year with, with this text is, uh, what kind of radical humility, uh, what kind of radical self-emptying, self-giving is God calling me to do as a follower of Jesus, who is following Jesus all the way to the cross. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times we like to skip the cross or oh, think, for sure. oh, that, that happened. It doesn't apply to us now. For sure. Yeah, and that's not a new thing. I mean, I think yeah. we're pretty guilty of that. But um, Bonhoeffer, and I, I realize I'm talking about theology, and he was writing in um, the 30s, or 20s and 30s, um, uh, Lutheran, uh, professor and pastor in Nazi Germany. Um, and he writes in his classic book, um, The Cost of Discipleship, which if you haven't read it, you have to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, he talks about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Um, and I'm just going to quote a tiny bit. It goes on for a couple pages, but cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. That's. Hmm important absolution without personal confession cheap grace is grace without discipleship grace without the cross grace without jesus christ living and incarnate Mm. and i think about like our tendency to like we just want it to be easter you know we we want we want jesus to be born and then we want (laughs) jesus to be resurrected we don't necessarily want jesus to die yeah but there is no resurrection without death Mm. and so that's what that is in, in my opinion and I'm not alone in this, um, and I'm not, it's not original to me. Yeah. Um, the meaning of the cross is death. Yeah. Which is a really hard thing to sit and reflect on, but we sit on Saturday. and We, we do. We should be reflecting on these things. We should. We should. Um, and even though the cross leads to death, there is hope. There is. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's the part of the Easter story that we want to – you know, mm-hmm. jump to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do end Holy Week with Easter Sunday, and this day begins a whole new season of the liturgical calendar, the whole season of Eastertide. So many would be probably surprised to know that Easter is not one day. That's right. Um, even though, you know, our societies commercialize it to be a one holiday. Right. Um, in the church calendar, it goes on for 50 days. 50 days. That's right. <laughs> it's longer than the Lenten season. Yep. Um, and and it, longer than Christmas tide. Yeah. And it leads <laughs> us to all the way to Pentecost, yep. um, which is a, another fun uh, day in the church calendar. Um, Maybe the most fun. Yeah. There's okay. a lot, yeah. We'll get, <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a Pentecost we uh, might have episode to do one, later. Yeah. <laughs> Set the spirit free. There's some fun that happens. Yeah. Um, but Easter, you know, is obviously the day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Um, and this is kind of where, I mean, this is kind of what forms the foundation of our faith. That's right. Of, as Christians, as a church, as believers. Um, and it invites us to deepen this belief in us of this paradox of life after death. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is where we deal with, okay, now we, like we were in focusing on the death and now we have this dichotomy of death and resurrection, like, and we Mm -hmm. have to process all that. And there's a lot of that. We're not going to (laughs) know. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of hope there too. And this is where we can finally, you know, say the hallelujahs. Um, yeah, they get resurrected. Yes. Yes. And as Christy was mentioning earlier, um, 
on about you know them coming uh us being able to finally say them in church like on sunday we'll ring bells every time we hear the word hallelujah and hallelujah and um it's a joyous occasion you know and there's a lot of um hope and joy and love that comes with this um but it's not but we still have to deal with everything leading up to it also we do and and as we work our way through the liturgical calendar and imagine ourselves in the ongoing timeless and transcendent narrative of Jesus of Nazareth, like all these things, they don't happen once linearly for us as human beings. They happen all the time in cycles, sometimes not in the right order, but birth, life, healing, sickness, poverty, you know, death, resurrection, grief, questions like it's all those all characterize the human experience Mm -hmm. and so to remember that jesus has been there too Mm. is so important and i think resurrection is the same like we all anticipate the great resurrection our resurrection um into eternal life when we're finally one with god um that is part of the resurrection story but that's not all of the resurrection story we experience it time and time again in glimpses um and so easter is about celebrating all of the resurrection, large, small, future, and now. Um, and that is something to celebrate. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to wrap that up, honestly. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> that's then. like the hopeful thing. Um, and, you know, I think it's kind of funny. I think when we wait for so long in Lent mm-hmm. and for Advent, like those seasons of waiting and going through the wilderness, and then it's just like one day it comes. Yeah. And there's, there's hope and joy in that in the same way of like when we are experiencing death in whatever form that takes in your life, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of waiting, there's a lot of grieving, there's a lot of just like, n- like there's, we just sit and we just don't know when it's, when hope is going to show yeah. up again and yeah. then it does. You know, one of the things I tell every couple that I do premarital counseling with is, and, and I only know it because somebody told me <laughs> is, um, there's so much going on around your wedding that um, you can get caught up in it. You can get caught up in the excitement. You can get caught up in the drama. You can get caught up in <laughs> like whether or not your hair is right. Like there's so many opportunities for you to get caught up and miss the whole thing. Yep. And so uh, my prayer for every couple on their wedding day is remember why you're here mm. and pause in every new moment. Pause in the ceremony. Pause in the the time while you're getting ready. Pause at the luncheon. Pause at the party before. Pause, you know, pause yeah. and just soak it up for what it is um, because you don't know when that, you know, that experience will strike you again. Mm. And it is a gift of grace, all of it, the yeah. pain and the joy. Yeah. So don't rush it. <laughs> but when it comes, soak it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, it has been a joy for us to be able to have these discussions and to be able to talk about your questions. Um, most of these questions came from other people, but it, mm-hmm. there have been questions that we've also had ourselves and Wrestled still with have. big time. <laughs> yeah, and we've had to wrestle with them, and we still are. But I think, um, you know, even though this official season of Lent where we've been talking about seeking honest questions is coming to an end, that doesn't mean that our questions are ending. And I think there's... You know, I hope that we are instilling in you all and ourselves and our church family and the community that we can, like, asking questions is a very faithful Mm -hmm. practice and a very healthy faith practice in 
I was just telling Chrissy earlier is I, um, like Jesus asks a lot of questions. Yep. Jesus does. And he asks a lot of questions in the last week of his life. Yep. And he answers people's questions by asking more questions. And so I think, <laughs> you know, maybe that's frustrating for some of us who just want answers, but it is also just a faithful, it's a reminder of, you know, the doubt and the questions we have are all things that we can ask and bring to God. Mm-hmm. And it's things that we can wrestle with together. It's not, you know, we like to hold questions in the dark by ourselves. We don't want to admit some of them, but we being able to be in community with one another and with God and ask and wrestle and seek maybe not answers, as we've said over and over again, like we don't have them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's where a lot of, I think, hope and comfort comes from, knowing that everyone's doing that, too, and that we can do it with one another. And so that we, we hope that um, this series has helped. Maybe you reflect on your own questions that you have. Um, we'd love to know, like, which of the questions, like, stood out for you. Um, and maybe that brought up more questions for you. Um, yeah. We'd love for you to share those with us. And maybe we will continue asking more questions. Um on the podcast specifically, I know we'll continue asking questions in our own lives and we hope that you do as well. Um, but this has been life giving for us and, um, challenging for us to continue for us asking questions as ministers who, you know, we're wrestling with these things with you also. Like it's, you're not on your own in that too. And we have our own things to wrestle with, but. Well, Annabeth, this has been so much fun to think through these questions with you. Thank you for organizing it and keeping everything on track and um, <laughs> providing this opportunity for digital discipleship. So yeah. Can't wait to hear what people <laughs> think and um, and what questions are bubbling up within them. Yes, we love to hear from you. But until next time, um, see you later. See happy, you later. Happy Holy Week. Yes. <laughs> we will bring God's ring here and in the love of Christ be there. The word making it heard, and all are welcome here. Come to the table and be fed from near and far. Come as you are, here you will never be alone. In the glory of God, we're building a church of living. Oh